Well, good morning, Emmanuel. You may not realize it, but today is an anniversary of sorts for our church. Eight months ago today, exactly, on March 15th, Emmanuel had her first live stream only service. Hooray! <laughs> Happy anniversary! It's bittersweet, isn't it? Now, many of you have been faithfully worshiping from home all along, but for some, myself included, today's move back to online-only worship feels discouraging, as is, of course, the reason that we're moving back to online-only, which is that COVID-19 cases are skyrocketing in Chicago, they are skyrocketing around the country, and skyrocketing over much of the world. And so as we turn the corner into winter, while I do feel intensely grateful for the unexpected blessings God has brought us in this long, strange year, I am also sad and discouraged. And I am weary, frankly, of asking the Lord to help bring an end to this pandemic. But I have to say that as today's message from Daniel has been wheedling its way into my mind these past few weeks, it is starting to change my understanding of what prayer can do even when we are weak. Through these scriptures, God shows us how prayer functions from an angle we never get to see apart from his revelation. It's meant to change the way we understand reality, and it's meant to change the way we pray. You see, there is a mighty conflict that expresses itself both in the heavens and on the earth. And I have no doubt that each of the mighty upheavals of this year the trespassing of a virus from the animal world into the realm of human beings, the unjust imbalance of power between races expressed in violence against black and brown bodies, the rancor and division that both stems from and feeds into political wrangling. I have no doubt that there are mighty spiritual forces at work behind the scenes. The last few chapters of Daniel, the ones still coming up, are going to highlight just how interconnected our visible earthly life is with the invisible heavenly realms, which can be a deeply unsettling realization. But the message of Daniel chapter 10 is that despite our helplessness in the face of supernatural opposition, the promise of God is that even our weakest and weariest prayers can release mighty action in heaven. So if you've been tracking with this sermon series, you know that Daniel is a man of prayer and that his is a book filled with rapid and dramatic answers to prayer. The first six chapters of the book are packed with compelling stories of dramatic action, chief among them the rescue of the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace and the rescue of Daniel himself from the lion's den. And I admire the Daniel in these stories so much. He is strong and full of faith and confident and steady. And even when he is targeted by a murderous mob, his co-workers, he responds in a spirit of steadfast serenity. He keeps his wits about him. He makes wise choices. He is articulate. He stands firm. This Daniel faces deadly opposition squarely and participates in a clear narrative that illustrates the hand of God in human history. That's the Daniel of chapters one through six. But the Daniel that we're meeting in the final six chapters of this book looks different. In chapters seven through 12, there is a focus 
on supernatural activities, and David or Daniel appears vulnerable. He is physically weak here, experiencing fits and falling into trances. He has trouble speaking at all, and he is confused and deeply sad. The Daniel we see in the last half of this book looks on the chaos and uncertainty of the world he lives in and literally trembles. When faced by enraged kings or murderous mobs, Daniel stands firm. But when conflict in the heavenly realms brings deep discouragement on earth, Daniel finds that no strength remains. So we look to God's word to discover what happens when no strength remains. What happens when our loneliness and anxiety close in and we can't see what God is doing? What can our weak prayers do? At the beginning of chapter 10, we read in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel. Now, this simple date stamp may not communicate much to us, but early readers of Daniel would know what was happening in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. In the first year of his reign, Cyrus released a large number of Jews who were living in captivity in Babylon, and he not only let them go back to their homeland, but he instructed and equipped them to begin rebuilding the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. The opportunity to rebuild the temple was literally the best thing to happen to the Jewish people in Daniel's life. But here, in the third year of Cyrus's reign, this all-important project has completely stalled out. Sin, division, and enmity are making progress impossible. Daniel responds to these discouraging circumstances in this way, in verse 2. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. The hope of the restoration has kept Daniel going for 70 years, and now on the brink of it, things are falling apart. Daniel is profoundly grieved, and he is profoundly confused. He longs for understanding. He can't see why things are going so badly wrong, and he enters a period of mourning. He expresses his internal grief externally by stripping down his diet to the bare essentials. He stops using the oils and lotions that made life comfortable in a harsh desert climate. And from the weakness of discouragement, he begins a serious engagement in prayer. But as he begins to pray, yet another cause for discouragement emerges. In other situations, when Daniel prayed, God responded swiftly. When the king threatened to kill Daniel, if Daniel didn't interpret his dream, Daniel prayed, and that night the Lord answered. When Daniel was hurled into the lion's den, he prayed, and that night the Lord shut the mouths of the lions. This time, no swift answer. This time, Daniel prays and silence. In addition to the discouragement of deferred fulfillment of promises, Daniel begins to feel the weight of discouragement that comes from unanswered prayer. Daniel perseveres in prayer, though. And then finally, verse 4, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. 
His body was like barrel, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Wow. After years of discouragement and weeks of silence from God, here at last is a bizarre answer. And what is the result? I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. If Daniel felt weak before, it's nothing compared to what happens to him now. The curtain that divides the visible realms of the universe from the invisible realms have parted, and Daniel is undone. Even answered prayers can leave us weak. In addition to the spiritual, emotional, and intellectual weakness that he's been contending with, this supernatural encounter brings on physical weakness as well. His countenance is fearfully changed, and some commentators say this means that his face may have contorted and seized up. Um, this vision leaves Daniel breathless and in actual pain, he mentions later. Four times, Daniel will emphasize that all the strength has left his body. His mind becomes overwhelmed at the sound of the great man's voice. He's so overcome that he falls to the ground in a deep sleep. Unable to move, unable to see, unable to speak. Destabilized by discouragement, undermined by grief and confusion, and now overwhelmed by his own human frailty in the presence of a superior being. Now, you may have never been driven to the extremes of weakness that Daniel was, but I know that some in our church body have been laid low by devastating personal losses. Some have prayed fervently for years without receiving the desired answer. Some suffer chronic illness with energy sapped by an hourly need to cope with pain. Some of us have prayers disrupted by anxiety or distraction or even oppositional dark spirits. Sometimes everything is totally fine in our lives, but when it comes to prayer, we just can't summon strength. All of us hit seasons when we realize that no strength remains in us. Do the weak prayers that we pray in this season matter? Is there any hope of receiving an answer when our prayers are so weak? Why should we pray when we can see no response? Here is the little known truth illustrated in Daniel 10. Even our weak prayers on earth release strong responses in heaven. The second half, of Daniel's book is all about the deep connection between the things of earth and the things of heaven. Events in heaven affect things on earth and events on earth affect events in heaven, including the soft words that we speak to God in the quiet of our own souls. So what happens when Daniel offered up prayers of discouragement, confusion, and weakness? Well, God did four things. When Daniel prayed in weakness, God took immediate 
action. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. The supernatural messenger says to Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Daniel's weak prayer released immediate action in heaven. From the first day Daniel set his heart to understand, God moved. Now, Daniel might have argued with this in those first three weeks. His experience was that he mourned and grieved for three weeks and nothing happened. But in actual fact, as soon as he lifted a prayer to God, God pulled his messenger out of the middle of a heavenly battle and sent him on his way to Daniel with a response. Now, that messenger was delayed in the heavenly conflict that was mirroring the delay of the restoration of the temple due to sin and conflict on earth. There is opposition to God's will in the heavenlies, not in God's throne room where his will is perfectly obeyed, but in the invisible realms of the universe. And even our weakest prayers, prayed in humility, have power to affect what goes on there. Our words spoken to God catalyze things in the heavenly realms beyond our sight. Now, one of the great joys of church life is when we get to pray for one another. And sometimes when I'm praying with someone, I feel full of power and conviction and the presence of the Holy Spirit is palpable. Other times, I don't feel anything. But you know what I've noticed over the years? There is no reliable connection between my felt experience of the power of my prayers and how God chooses to use them in the life of the person I'm praying with. Seriously, the connection between prayer on earth and the changes that they release in heaven is real, but we do not reliably have access to that. Sometimes when it seems the spirit is moving, the person I'm praying with does testify that the Lord is accomplishing something. Other times when it seems the spirit is moving, I can't tell that anything has changed. And the reverse is true also. Sometimes my prayers feel hollow or forced or just generally uninspired, and I can't see that much has come of it. But other equally uninspired times, I've been shocked by how powerfully God has moved. I have learned that when God wants to use our prayers to bring healing or a new understanding of God's love or deliverance from bondage to sin, when God wants to use our prayers, he is just as happy and able to use our weak ones as our strong ones. And sometimes we get to see what he's doing in the moment, and sometimes we never know. We see through a glass darkly. There is this vital and vibrant connection between the seen and unseen activity of God and the angels, but much of it happens out of our line of sight and beyond the range of our hearing. Just as our eyes can see only part of the spectrum of light and our ears can only hear part of a larger range of sound, our minds can only apprehend a part of the events and circumstances that deeply affect us. There are realms of activity happening all around us. We can't see them, but 
God is Lord and King of all, seen and unseen, visible and invisible, and even our weak prayers can catalyze powerful action beyond our reckoning. What else did God do with weak prayers? Secondly, when Daniel prayed in weakness, God drew near with a word to comfort and a touch to strengthen. When Daniel saw the holy messenger from heaven, he fell over in a deep sleep. The first thing this messenger from God does, he reaches out his hand and touches Daniel, and this touch ministers strength to Daniel. He is able to raise himself up at least onto his hands and knees. And the first words the messenger speaks in verse 11 are, O Daniel, man greatly loved. In verse 12, fear not, Daniel. And seeing that Daniel is still too weak to speak, the messenger touches his lips in verse 16 and restores speech to him. And finally, in verse 18, again, one having the appearance of a man touched and strengthened Daniel. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened. The Lord draws near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord's love for those of us who are weak is strong. Our weakness and need is not repulsive or off-putting to God. On the contrary, his Father's heart is touched and drawn in when we pray prayers from weakness. Thirdly, when Daniel prayed in weakness, God offered an understanding that brings hope. In verse 12, the messenger frames the purpose of his visit like this. From the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard and I came because of your words. In verse 14, I came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. And finally, in verses 20 and 21, do you know why I have come to you? I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. Daniel has been suffering the most painful sort of confusion, the sort of confusion that arises when the promises of God for us are delayed, and he is seeking understanding. The Lord hears the prayers we pray for the understanding of his will and understanding his purposes, and he answers. It is well worth noting, however, that when God answers a plea for understanding, he almost always answers with hope and promise, not so much data and information. Now, the messenger has come to make Daniel understand, and he does provide a lot of information for sure. The full message of the messenger is recorded in chapters 11 and 12 of Daniel. And while some parts are astonishingly clear in their account of political changes that would unfold in the coming years, by and large, it's kind of a tale of chaos. Chaos on earth and chaos in the heavens. The messenger tells a very complex tale of earthly political upheaval, kingdoms rising and kingdoms falling. It is a message of war and destruction of plots and stumbling, of arrogances and allegiances. In short, this divine message is not easy to understand in the particulars. 
but most prophetic content seems to be more about demonstrating that God has all the intel he needs. It's less about passing on that intel to us. Daniel learns just enough about what is to come that he is provided with the hope that he needs to survive and thrive in his chaotic world. The power of prophecy lies not in prediction, but in the renewed promise of God. Finally, the fourth thing that God does in response to weak prayer. When Daniel prays in weakness, God shows up. In Daniel's case, God shows up by proxy. Let's look more closely at this messenger that he sent. The being that appears before him is first simply described as a man clothed in linen, wearing a belt of gold, which seems like a pretty strange way to start off, given what else we know about the messenger's appearance. This man's body was um, like beryl, which is a precious stone. Emerald is a type of beryl. So it's a translucent green or maybe blue or yellow. And his face looks like lightning. And his eyes are like torches. And his limbs are like bronze. And his voice was like something from a horror film. When he spoke, his voice sounded like many voices at once. So this is a being with aspect of a human identity. A man clothed in linen which is how one would describe a priest, and also aspects of a divine identity. In fact, this part of the description sounds an awful lot like the description of Jesus himself we read in Revelation chapter 1. This messenger sent from God is not God incarnate, but he is a sort of harbinger, a forerunner of Jesus, a sign of the Son of Man, the Son of God, who in response to our fatal weakness was sent from the Father as the answer to our every prayer. For all the promises of God find their yes in Christ Jesus. That is why through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The truth is, even at our strongest, we are weak. We are ignorant. But the greater truth is that God has chosen the weak to shame the strong. He has chosen to display his power through our weakness. In the unseen areas of our lives, we must operate in weakness and blindness. But we have agency in the spiritual realm far beyond our reckoning because we have a God who hears. However truly weak we are, we are never truly without agency in the spiritual realms because we have a God who hears. Because we have a God who hears, even our weakest prayers can release a strong response in heaven. This truth from God's word has immediate application to our lives. In all the areas of life where I habitually feel too overwhelmed, too weak to pray well, I have new hope. Even in those big areas where the hardness of our own hearts, the broken systems in society, and invisible forces of evil all are united to oppose the will of God and it feels impossible, we can offer up small prayers trusting that God will use them to catalyze a strong response. So instead of holding off 
praying for big prayer requests, the ones that I feel like need to be offered only in like designated intentional prayer times, I now feel moved and released to speak out to the Lord at any odd moment, even against these overwhelming prayer requests. When I'm washing out my face masks, I say, Lord, end this pandemic. When I watch sparrows at our bird feeder, I can pray, Lord, provide food and housing for the poor in Uptown. Let me help. When I walk past my neighbor's car on my parking pad near the alley, I pray, Lord, increase my desire to speak to others about you. When I'm scrolling the news, I pray, Jesus, would you make our church an instrument of your justice? These small prayers are action because our strong God waits with eagerness to respond to our weak words. Here again, what the messenger from God came to say to you. O child greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.